It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your one? Anybody in my family? Mike Corey and Sean Jordan was the essence of the young chorus where we grew from. Seemed like a second, now they less important to the new son. I guess today weighs more than yesterday. It's morbid to suggest that they will come for them too. When it's a brother younger than you, who humble and who? Used to coach him, now he coached and blew up. Who knew? He caught you on a rough night, you were stumbling through. Now he telling you to get yours, get yours. All of you reporters made it hard on them. Never write about me like that. Never make me think about Ladies and gentlemen, it feels oh so good to be back. It's not like anything's been going on in the news of late, right? <laughs> What's been going on, y'all? Jay Hicks, Hip Hop Sports Support, uh, the preseason podcast of the year makes a triumphant return after correctly picking the Super Bowl. Uh, it's about time I got one of those games right with one of those teams. Congratulations to the Rams. Uh, we took a little hiatus there, but what better to bring us out of this hiatus than, obvi- uh, than arguably the biggest movie star on the planet, slapping the hell out of the greatest, one of the greatest comedians of all time. We'll talk about it. I mean, everybody else is talking about it. All of a sudden, everybody's a relationship e- relationship expert. Everybody on social media is a psychiatrist. Um, everybody's got the answers for everybody's diagnosed Will Smith. I don't know. Like, everybody's defending him or chastising him. I everybody's got an opinion, and um, you know, like most things we see on the internet with sports and everything else, most of the opinions that you find are trash on the subject. But that's why you guys come here. So we appreciate you slide through. Um, it is late on a Monday, March twenty eighth of twenty twenty two. We'll see when this thing actually gets posted. I'm not entirely sure when that's going to be. We've had some weird stuff going on with the uh, with the podcast. So if anybody's been out there searching for the podcast and you're not seeing our artwork come up on the podcast, my apologies for that in advance. We're trying to get that rectified. Hopefully, we're not going to have any issues with our feed as we go to post this, but uh, just something to be aware of. So if this ends up coming out a week after it was intended to, uh, you know why. You know that I've already been aware of whatever issues that we've been up against, but uh, thank you for bearing with the technical difficulties. You know you, you can find us. HipHopSportsSupport.com is the website. Of course, we're on Twitter and uh, Facebook and Apple Podcasts and and uh, everywhere else. Uh, so just come find us. Come holler at us. Drop us a line, man. Um, yeah, just a few things we want to talk about this week. I've actually been chomping at the bit, y'all, waiting to get back in touch with you guys. Um let me just give you guys a quick preview on what we intend to talk about. Uh, hopefully, the plan is that I'm going to have my beautiful wife on later to discuss the slap. 
the pursuit of slappiness, as I saw it dubbed the other day. That and uh, the Kanye West documentary, Genius. Isn't that what it's called? Genius, the, the Netflix joint. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And yes, the slap is hip-hop related and it's sports related. You had the King Richard tie-in with the Fresh Prince, okay? That's that's about as hip-hop as it gets. And he slapped the dude that made CB4, right? So that counts. Um, so we have that. And uh, But I also wanted to take a substantial amount of time to talk about my beloved Cleveland Browns. Uh, in case you haven't heard, they've been in the news of late. And in case you haven't heard, they got a new quarterback, a legitimate franchise quarterback, the first one the team has had since Bernie Kosar about 30 years ago. And no, Baker Mayfield doesn't count. That's why he's out the door, okay? Um, Did you expect me to get on here and do a victory lap on Baker Mayfield? You probably did. Am I actually going to be... Am I actually going to be that hacky and do that? Yeah. Yeah, I probably am. But stay tuned for that. We're going to touch on that in a moment. But first, I wanted to dive into this Deshaun Watson situation with the Browns. The last time I spoke to you guys, I kind of got a little bit uh, deeper on some racial issues. And uh, and that was uh, something that that I enjoyed. It wasn't something that I do all the time, but I felt it necessary to talk about, you know, how I think a lot of people may not understand the issue with the hiring of black coaches and why that's important and the issue with black quarterbacks and that sort of thing. And, you know, it was it was in relationship to the whole Brian Flores situation down in Miami. I just felt like I had to get that off and I needed to to hopefully enlighten some people who may not be aware of why that issue was as big of a deal as it was, particularly in the black community or in, in black circles. We're going to venture down that road again, because in light of everything that's happened with Deshaun Watson and the trade the Browns have made for him, I think the element of race has been lost in this conversation, and I feel like it is a critical critical piece in fact you may recall if you follow us on twitter twitter.com slash hhs report um i well so okay so in full disclosure okay i said some stuff that's wrong on twitter right the one thing was after the browns were supposedly out of the running for deshaun watson i said you know what these these northern teams they just can't attract these southern dudes man like they can't compete with these southern teams because it was allegedly down to the Falcons and the Saints who play in Atlanta and New Orleans respectively and Cleveland didn't really stand much of a chance. Well, that turned out not to be the case. But I think uh one thing that I did say that was correct, I believe, was that it did not hurt the Browns to have a young, sharp, Harvard-educated brother in the room pitching the Cleveland Browns to Deshaun Watson. I felt like that may work in the Browns' favor. I said that prior to the meeting with the Browns. And, you know, Watson would never come out in a press conference and say that, but I think it positively impacted his view of the Cleveland Browns with seeing Andrew Barry sitting across the negotiating table. But I think there's a greater issue of race here that's at play that that's bothering me. Everybody's been kind of struggling with what to do with this Watson situation. You know, if you're a Browns fan, like I am, I'm born and raised in Cleveland, y'all know that. Should you be excited? Should you not be excited? I saw people talking about the press conference that took place this past Friday in Berea 
saying that like it looked like a funeral, I think is what Rich Eisen said. I, you know, people remarked that nobody looked happy because they couldn't look happy because if they look too happy, then they're not taking the allegations against Deshaun Watson seriously enough. Those being 22 women as of now are on the books for uh, alleging sexual assault or misconduct of Watson. Uh, these are massage therapists, as you may, in, in the event that you may not know, these are massage therapists uh, that met with Watson and uh, something happened. We don't know what happened. Everybody thinks they know what happened, but we don't know what happened. But I do think um, as people have been trying to wrestle with what it is, you know, how to make sense of this, how to, how to rationalize this as a fan, how to just come to some kind of palatable conclusion about what to make of Watson or the Browns organization, I think that there's a missing piece here that for me personally is, is being undersold. And I'm going to talk about that. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about, though, and I took copious notes, y'all, on this issue with, with Watson because I took so many notes and I still don't even think I'm going to remember everything, to be honest with you. I don't think I'm going to remember all the thoughts that I've had. I, I deliberately waited a few days before I recorded this so that the, you know, the news could kind of shake out and we could kind of get a feel for what the talking heads were saying. And now you have this small-time talking head such as myself getting behind a microphone and sharing his thoughts. But you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to kind of see what the reaction would be. I wanted to gauge what the sports landscape and the, media, the sports media landscape was saying about Watson and the Browns. Um, not shockingly, I was displeased with a lot of what I heard and saw. It goes without saying that the accusations against Deshaun Watson are pretty heinous. If you've seen any of the details of them, it's pretty outrageous stuff. Really despicable stuff to read. Really hard to stomach um, if you see what he's been accused of. And it's all very unfortunate. And so you don't want to make light of the accusations or, or make it seem as though the accusations don't have relevancy or don't have a place or anything like that. You don't want to just dis- dismiss what these women are claiming outright. Um, because they deserve their day in court or they're, they're, they deserve their justice however it is dished out according to our judicial system they deserve their day and their voices should not be silenced however i feel that there's been a whole hell of a lot of disingenuousness around the browns and deshaun watson why is that well it's pretty simple really the, the, the Deshaun Watson trade, which happened last week, was difficult. The press conference which happened last week was difficult. The trade, I guess, was two weeks ago. The press conference was last week. It was all hard as a fan. When that dude starts throwing touchdowns on Sundays, nobody's going to care. Okay? And maybe not nobody. Maybe nobody's an over-exaggeration or overstatement. But... The vast majority of Browns fans are not going to be boycotting this dude. They're not going to be picketing outside First Energy Stadium. They're not. They're not. We've seen this act so many times in sports before. I have a master's degree in public relations, y'all, and I actually wrote my thesis about professional athletes who who have been accused of sexual assault, two of which 
of note were Ben Roethlisberger and Kobe Bryant. And in both of those instances, the cases were either dropped or thrown out of court. And those dudes went on to win championships. And guess what? They were revered. Okay? We just watched Ben Roethlisberger retire a couple of weeks ago. What was it, six or eight weeks ago he played his last game? Remember that last game they beat the Browns in Pittsburgh? And this guy's jogging around the field. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's Lou Gehrig or somebody on his, on his last day at Yankee Stadium. Like, they treated him like a king in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, who, sports rivalries aside, is viewed upon as one of the most classy and, you know, one of the, like, elder statesman franchises of the NFL. Like, one of the... Uh, uh, however you would say it, they're just, they're just respected. They're one of the most highly respected organizations, ownership groups, franchises in football are the Pittsburgh Steelers. And their fans and their fan base uh, gets all the respect in the world from everybody outside of me. <laughs> but they were cheering for this dude. You know what I'm saying? Like he just cured cancer. You know what I'm saying? Like they, uh, he's royalty in that community. Ben Roethlisberger. We heard rape jokes for Ben Roethlisberger for 15 years, or however long it was. Uh, it was a lot of years that those jokes were getting off. People still get those jokes off to this day, but not nearly as much. You don't hear that not nearly as much as you hear people talk about his Hall of Fame credentials, what he did for the franchise, what type of all-time great quarterback he was, where his legacy lives and stacks up against the other quarterbacks of his generation. This is the conversation around Ben Roethlisberger. Another quarterback accused of sexual assault. Once the case passed, the dude won football games. He won playoff games. He won a championship. All that stuff went out the window. It's not that anybody forgot about it. It's just not that relevant in the grand scheme of him, the organization, the Steelers, or the NFL. This is not top of mind stuff, okay? It isn't. We saw the same thing with Kobe, accused of rape in 2004. He was going to court by day and dropping 40 and hitting buzzer beaters against the Nuggets by night. And that endeared him to a lot of people. The fact that he was able to put that aside and still go out and dominate on the court. And mind you, Kobe admitted to having an affair. Roethlisberger didn't even do that. His case was thrown out completely. I don't even think it ever made it to trial or anything. It was just thrown out and dismissed, and that was just pretty much it. Kobe admitted that he had an affair, but... He said it was consensual, and he had a hard conversation. He did a very difficult press conference where it looked like he just had ate peanut butter and it was stuck to the roof of his mouth. We remember that. You know what I'm saying? And we saw uh, you know, how, how uh, the contrition on his face that day, and we saw how he behaved on the court in the face of that. And what happened in the years after that? The case was eventually thrown out. Kobe went on to average 35 a game in 2006, winning MVP in 2008, 
winning a championship in 2009, another championship in 2010, and by the time he retired in his last game and he scored 60 points with Snoop Dogg in the crowd, he was everybody's favorite player. And all of that, all those accusations, all of that stuff that he was accused of, gone. It's gone. Now, granted, this is one person. I think Ben Roethlisberger was accused of two separate instances. Kobe had one accuser. Deshaun Watson has 22. So I understand that. But I'm going to get to that in a second and why that doesn't, something about that doesn't sit right with me. But the point is, is that up to the day that we lost Kobe Bryant, he was already an icon. He was an icon before his tragic demise. And that bolstered him into a whole other stratosphere. And everybody remembers Kobe as being a great husband and a great father. And I'm not here to say that he wasn't those things. What I am here to say is he had an affair. He acknowledged it. He bawled his ass off. And nobody really cared at the end of the day. At the end of his life, nobody really, really cared. Yes, there's going to be a small percentage of people that are never going to forgive Kobe, that are never going to forgive Roethlisberger, and that are never going to forgive Deshaun Watson, even for these accusations. We know that. But the vast majority of people are willing to forgive if you dominate on your field of play. We've seen this in athletics so many times before. You know what I'm saying? We've just seen it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, by the way, but this is just what it is. So I'm not one of those people, y'all, that likes to sit here and pretend to be something that I'm not as a sports fan. I'm not the morality police, personally, and I'm speaking strictly for Justin Hicks, okay? I don't, I tr- is it my preference that the athletes that play for the teams that I root for not be dirtbags in real life? Yes, that is absolutely a thousand percent my preference. I don't want them to be dirtbags in real life. Am I naive enough to believe that I actually know these people? And that I think that some of them might not be dirtbags? I mean, this is an NFL roster with 53 guys on it. Okay? And not all of them have the best judgment. The Browns had a player as recently as a couple of years ago that was threatening fans' lives on Twitter from the locker room after a game. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, this dude was on the Browns. Kareem Hunt is on the Browns. The same Kareem Hunt that there's video that exists of him assaulting, physically assaulting a woman in a hotel in downtown Cleveland. That video exists. There's no video in this Deshaun Watson case. But people have already made up their mind, it seems. But they didn't have any problem cheering with Kareem Hunt when he was scoring touchdowns against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. You see what I'm saying? And Browns fans don't seem to have an issue with Jim Brown, who has a statue erected outside the building, outside the stadium in downtown Cleveland. Jim Brown, arguably the greatest football player that ever lived. Go look at his rap sheet when it comes to his relationships with women. If you don't know anything about Jim Brown, Google it. Check it out. Google's free. It's out there. Fire up the Google machine and see what you find when you look into Jim Brown's past. Most Browns fans revere Jim Brown. How can you revere Jim Brown and then chastise Deshaun Watson for these accusations? It doesn't make sense to me. 
It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not here to defend Deshaun Watson. I believe that there is a fairly decent chance that Deshaun Watson is a dirtbag. I think that that possibility 100% absolutely exists. But there's a lot of other stuff at play here that, again, I feel like is being undersold and requires maybe a little bit closer examination. And that's where the, that's where the race component comes into play, which I'll get into again in a minute. The coverage of this thing, the coverage of the press conference, I didn't understand it. There was nothing that Deshaun Watson could say that was going to put everybody's hearts and mind at ease last Friday. Like, there wasn't. There was nothing that he was going to say in that press conference. And some people said, I saw Mike Florio say from Pro Football Talk, why even have the press conference? Because they had to have the press conference. Can you imagine what people like you, Mike Florio, would have said if the Browns didn't have a press conference to introduce their $230 million guaranteed quarterback? They would be getting dragged for not putting him in front of the media and for not standing there and taking questions, uh, taking, the, taking the tough questions. Like, that would have been a huge thing. People were getting on Deshaun Watson because he acted like an innocent man in the press conference. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> he says he's innocent. How else is he supposed to act? I saw some people getting on him saying that, you know, well, Deshaun Watson uh, didn't have any regrets. And they had an issue with him saying that he didn't have any regrets. It's like, guys, he believes he's not guilty. So why, do you, why would you expect him to say that he has a bunch of regrets about what went down? You know what I'm saying? Like maybe he could have said he had a regret about how he contacted these therapists, these massage therapists, but... Outside of that, like, there's, there's nothing to be, I mean, like, I saw somebody get mad at him because, well, the question came up during the press conference, Deshaun, don't you think you should seek counseling for, for the, you know, for what you've gone through and all this other stuff? And he's just like, I mean, I don't know about counseling because I didn't, I ain't do nothing. That was basically his response. And people got mad at him for that. And it's like, fam, he says he's not guilty. That'd be, like, so, that'd be like walking up to Snoop Dogg and being like, Snoop, I think you should uh, go to an overeaters group. You know what I'm saying? Get your eating under control. Knowing that Snoop Dogg has been rail thin for 30 years. He's, he seems to be innocent of the crime of being a fat ass, right? Like, you wouldn't accuse Snoop of that. Or you wouldn't accuse, like, Mr. Rogers of needing anger management. Like, ah, Mr. Rogers should go to anger management. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's the nicest guy on the planet. (laughs) He doesn't need anger management. He's not guilty of needing anger management. In Deshaun Watson's mind, he is not guilty of any of the stuff he's been accused of. So why would he suggest that he should go to counseling? It's like people were trying to push guilt on Deshaun Watson. The media was doing it. Fans have been doing it. People have just been taking the 22 accusations and just applying it to him as if it's fact. And that's weird to me because this is supposed to be the land of innocent until proven guilty. And that's not the case anymore. Now, that's not entirely a bad thing. It's not entirely a bad thing. But because I believe 
that stems from the Me Too movement, right? Like, that's what the Me Too movement was all about. We need to believe women. We need to take women's complaints more seriously, and we need to understand that their voices aren't always heard, and these, these things happen all too commonly, and they should not be, you know, laughed out of whatever room it is that they're making these accusations for. I can appreciate all of that. This is when I would say the like the obligatory and I have a daughter like you know what I'm saying it's always weird when everybody says that as if if you don't have a daughter that you're incapable of having the proper empathy for women <laughs> like I had a wife long before I had a daughter and I had a mother long before I had a wife but I have all three I have a wife I have a mother and I have a daughter and I have dozens of other women in my life who I care very deeply for and love so I you know it's not just I have a daughter but the point is is Yes, their complaints need to be taken seriously. Absolutely. And so if it is 22 people that are accusing him, 22 is a big number. It seems like it's too hard to be a conspiracy theory or to be a conspiracy. But I'm not sold that it isn't, y'all. I'm not sold that it isn't. Well, what was also strange to me was how again disingenuous everybody has been about the browns as if the browns were the only team that went after deshaun watson services as if the browns were the only team willing to trade three first round picks for him as if the browns were the only team in the running for his services as recently as 12 days ago it was there were four teams in the running for him towards the end and that's not including the Miami Dolphins, who were rumored all last year of being interested in him. And some people have reported that as many as 14 teams were interested in Deshaun Watson's services after the allegations came out. Okay? 14 teams. And so that's basically half the league. Half the league was interested in this guy because he's great. And yet... The Browns, because they're the team that actually landed him, they're the ones catching all the flack for it. It's like, where was all this flack for the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers and all these other teams that were supposedly interested in him? It's weird. It's, a, it's bigger than the Browns. It's an it's a, it's a NFL problem. You know what I'm saying? It's not a Cleveland Browns problem. I saw Nick Wright get on TV the other day, and I like Nick Wright a lot, actually. Nick, if you actually ever hear this by some random occurrence, know that I'm a huge fan of yours. But you was on some some dumb stuff last week when you were talking about the Browns and Deshaun Watson. The timeline goes like this. On Thursday, two Thursdays ago, Watson informed the Browns that they were out of the running on for trading for him, for him waiving the no-trade clause to go to Cleveland. On Friday, Nick Wright goes on his TV show and says that the Browns, that Baker Mayfield should request a trade from the Browns because the Browns deserve it because they are a, quote, Poverty franchise, that's the words that he used. They were a poverty franchise for 30 years. They flew too close to the sun. They had a little bit of success and thought that they deserved better than Baker Mayfield. And because they didn't deserve that, because they forgot their Cleveland, that these are his words, because they forgot that they're Cleveland, that Baker deserved to leave them in the lurch. And, and that after Watson had turned them down, they should have no quarterback. They don't get Baker. They don't get Watson. They shouldn't have anybody because they're the Browns. They're the lowly Browns, and they forgot who they are. 
You know, and now Nick Wright is saying all this because he's been a Baker guy, and he's been horrifically wrong about Baker Mayfield for years. This is why he was saying this. But he's throwing it all at the and – and the fact that Odell didn't work out there, and he loves Odell. He's laying this all at the feet of the Cleveland Browns on Friday. Friday that was Friday morning. Friday afternoon, Watson changes his mind. Monday morning comes on. He comes on TV, Nick Wright, and says, oh, the whole thing just felt grotesque. Whoa! grotesque you don't get to call the browns grotesque for making a deal for watson after you clowned them on your last show for not being able to land the big fish you weren't calling them grotesque before when they told when when watson told the browns no but now all of a sudden they actually acquire the guy that you said they had no chance of landing and now it's grotesque this is why jimmy haslam and the browns went all out to get Deshaun watson because they've been a laughing stock for 30 years And it's gotten even worse during Jimmy Haslam's time as owner. They're ready to win. They want to win a Super Bowl for the city of Cleveland, y'all. And I can't hold that against them. So by hook or by crook, they're going to get their franchise quarterback. So if that means they have to go back and and fight for him again after he told them no, if that means they have to put put a record contract on the table to acquire him in spite of him being accused of all these things, then that's what they were going to do. But then you can't come on TV on Monday and then call it grotesque. You just clowned them the day before. It's like you created this animal. You created a monster by trashing the Browns. Not just Nick Wright, but everybody's been trashing the Browns for years. And now, granted, they've deserved it, largely. But this is what happens as a result. They said, enough is enough. We're going to get our franchise guy. You can't have it both ways, Nick Wright. America, you can't have it both ways. If if, if you can't clown the Browns all this time for not getting the big guy, and then they finally actually defy the odds and get the guy, and now you're trashing him, like, that was some corny, that was corny to me. I, I didn't really appreciate that at all. So the coverage of this whole thing has been weird to me. Extremely weird. And the way that Watson has been treated has also been weird. And it's been weird to me that we're all acting you know as if we don't know that america loves a comeback story and that america loves a winner if you can come back and win you're a king you're damn near a god in this country if you can pull that off so we know that this, these are the stakes for Deshaun Watson. So it sucks today, but I just don't understand this whole notion of like, Ugh, this thing feels so disgusting and it's grotesque and, you know, I'm going to turn in my colors. I'm not an orange and brown. I'm not wearing orange and brown anymore. The Browns have lost a fan for 30 years. I'm selling my season tickets. It's like, really, dog? Like, so you never rooted for Jim Brown. You never, you didn't root for the team when they had Kareem Hunt? Like, what? Or all these fans of other teams that are just outraged. It's like, so what are you, a Patriots fan? Like, didn't Bob Kraft just get busted at a massage parlor? Like, the owner of the team? Like, wasn't that massage parlor guilty of, like, human trafficking that he was frequent frequenting? You know what I'm saying? Like, like the whole... It, I, I don't like to play morality police in sports because it's too windy of a road. It's too easy to get lost. And you will be disappointed... You will be disappointed every time. Do your best to keep it separate. That's kind of how I tend to look at it. 
And I've alluded to this a few times already, and I think I'm ready to get into this whole thing about, about race, y'all. As I mentioned earlier, the Me Too movement, I believe, had, has everything to do with why so many people cannot rock with Deshaun Watson. They're looking at this and say, wait a minute, we've been trained because of that movement to believe women. This man has 22 accusations against him. 22 people cannot, cannot be making this up. That's just too many people. And I hear y'all on that. And again, I'll reiterate. I think there is a definitely, a definitely a possibility that Deshaun Watson's a scumbag. That possibility is there. I am not refuting that or walking away or turning a blind eye at that. Here's my thing. Going back like I did on the last podcast to George Floyd. What what was the what was the lesson in George Floyd? It was similar to the Me Too movement. Instead of believe women though, it was supposed to be believe black people. All right? We seen this man get killed by the police on camera. And the cop got convicted, thankfully, but like, I don't think Derek Chauvin is convicted without video, without that video evidence of it taking place. I think he gets off just like all the rest of the dudes got off before him. Hell, they even had video of Eric Garner getting choked out and they didn't even bring that to trial. So there was no guarantee that Derek Chauvin was going down despite coldly staring into a camera phone with a knee on another man's neck until he breathed his last breath. The lesson was to believe black people that racism exists. It wasn't just about police brutality. Police brutality was a huge part of it and just general mistreatment by law enforcement. But there was another layer. How many of you guys went to work in the days and weeks after the George Floyd incident and had talks in your office with your teams, with your managers? How many, you know, there was like a discussion that was led or you had HR come down and give a discussion, or there was some type of conversation that was had with black people in the office leading the discussion, talking about the many times that they have been uh, mistreated either by law enforcement or just in general. How many instances of blatant racism did you learn about after the George Floyd situation? That was the lesson. It was to believe black people that this kind of stuff happens all the time. Well, here we are with Deshaun Watson, a 26, 27-year-old black man, wealthy, but not as wealthy as the NFL owners. And if we look at his situation, what is the timeline of what happened? Deshaun Watson signed a new contract with the Texans, huge contract. Then everything goes haywire in Houston. Okay, they had a coach named Bill O'Brien who had at one point remarked about the star receiver Deshaun, excuse me, DeAndre Hopkins, of having some baby mama drama. He said that like in a team meeting, as if that's not coded language, right? He ended up getting fired. They ended up firing the general manager at the time. There was supposed to be some inclusion of Watson into some of the decision-making that was going to happen. The ownership group, promised Deshaun Watson to have a say-so in the GM and coaching searches, and then they didn't do that. 
Not only did they lie to him and not give him any input, they ended up hiring the team chaplain as the general manager, the guy who leads the team in prayer. They put him in charge of player personnel in Houston. It's really happened. They traded away DeAndre Hopkins, arguably the best receiver in football at the time, to the Cardinals for basically a broken-down running back and a second-round pick. A horrendous trade. You know how you know? Because look at what Tyreek Hill just got traded for last week. He got traded for like six picks. You know what I'm saying? Hopkins went for pennies on the dollar by comparison, and he was Deshaun Watson's favorite target. They shipped him out of town. They wouldn't hire, uh, they wouldn't even interview a black coach at first. They finally did end up hiring a black coach. He coached one year last year, and then they fired him while Deshaun Watson sat out last year due to the accusations. And what about the ownership group of the Houston Texans? Well, the father, Bob McNair, he was a large donor to the Trump campaign in 2016. Donated, I believe, $1.3 million to the Trump campaign. And, you know, I don't know if Donald Trump, you know, I mean, I think there's enough evidence out there to suggest that Donald Trump might be racist. You know what I mean? I think, I think there's enough evidence out there to suggest that. Even if you don't think he's racist, fine, y'all. I know there's some Republicans that listen to this podcast, and that's fine. Just don't tell me that there's no evidence to suggest that, <laughs> that he's not racist. I mean, there, it exists. Okay, can we just acknowledge that point? By the way, while we're acknowledging stuff about Donald Trump, can we also acknowledge that that guy was on record talking about grabbing women, grabbing women by the pussy? Like on like on microphone said this and half the country still voted for him for president twice. So basically, if you have a problem with Deshaun Watson's accusations, but you voted for Donald Trump, you're a clown. Can we talk about that? You're a clown. Okay? But be that as it may, Bob McNair donated to the Trump campaign. Of course, it was Bob McNair who famously said of the black players that were kneeling in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, quote, we can't have the inmates running the asylum, which... It's probably not the best phrasing you want to use when you're talking about black players in a 70% black league who are kneeling in solidarity with a man who was trying to stand up against police brutality against black people. And you're basically referring to them as prison inmates or at the very least likening them to prison inmates. I mean, I know that's an expression. I know inmates running the asylum is an expression, but could you pick a worse expression to use in that scenario? Are we sure there's nothing behind that, Bob McNair? Even though he tried to walk it back later, but come on, you know? His son, and he died a few years ago. His son, Cal McNair, took over. Cal McNair then, I believe, went on to use the term China virus, a term made famous by Donald Trump during his presidency, which in some small part, at the very least, resulted in random Asian Americans getting beaten up in the streets because they were getting blamed for the COVID-19 pandemic, even if they weren't Chinese. Do y'all remember this? These are things that actually happened. Connect these dots. Deshaun Watson sees all of this and says, get me the hell out of here. 
You guys traded away my favorite target for Magic Beans. You guys are running this franchise into the ground. There's, I have no help around me. You said I was going to have input, and you, then you didn't give me any input. You hired whoever you wanted to hire. You put the team chaplain in charge. No, I'm done. And what happened after that, weeks later? 22 accusations. Now, you do the math, okay? These accusations came down they, not a moment before Deshaun Watson asked to be traded out of Houston, okay? To me, that says one of two things. Either Houston knew about this all along and was covering it up for Deshaun Watson, which makes them dirtbags, right? Or this is a, a, a sham of, of uh, you know, this is a complete conspiracy against Watson to bring him down and to put this boy in his place because he didn't want to play for y'all no more which also makes Houston dirtbags that's what it says to me one or the other and so what's weird to me though what's especially weird to me is that we use this we people cling to this number of 22 accusations and say well if it was one woman you know, we can get past that. Like one woman might be just trying to make up something to bring him down. But I find it hard to believe that 22 women are making this up. How many times have y'all heard it on TV? And it's a fair stance to take. So I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But how many instances in, I don't know, history have we seen of black men getting railroaded by racist institutions? Hundreds? Thousands? How many have there been? Because remember, George Floyd taught us to believe black people. Well, hear this black man talking on the microphone right now. Black people have been getting screwed in this country for centuries. Black men have been getting screwed in this country for centuries. Racist institutions have been screwing over black people since the beginning of America. Okay? We know this. This is a fact. How many black men have been falsely accused and falsely imprisoned? There are black men on death row that were falsely accused of crimes and are sitting there waiting to die because of it. What about Khalif Browner, the young man who was falsely accused of a crime and then they let him out of prison, but he was so traumatized by his false imprisonment that he ended up taking his own life at like 23 years old. These are real stories that have happened. What about Maya Moore's husband? Maya Moore, the WNBA superstar who basically left the sport to get her future husband out of prison because he was falsely jailed. Like these, these, these things happen. We've seen this happen before. We've seen Black men get falsely accused of things for a variety of different reasons. What about Emmett Till? Like, do I have to keep going? Like, there are examples all throughout history, all up and down history, of black men being falsely accused of crimes they didn't commit. And no matter what 
it damages them in the court of public opinion if they're of any type of fame or stature. I just ran down the history of the Houston Texans. Their decision-making, the, the uh, affiliations of their ownership group, right? And then we have them being a part of the larger institution that is the NFL. How racist of an institution is the NFL? Forget Colin Kaepernick. This is a league that just acknowledged and just stopped the practice of race norming in their concussion settlements. What is that, you ask? The billion-dollar concussion settlement that Will Smith did the movie about and all that stuff, that the NFL finally acknowledged that, okay, maybe our sport does ding your brain up a little bit. And maybe that can have some long-term health impacts or ramifications. The NFL was actually, the NFL's, it was the NFL's job to uh, pay out dementia cases uh, to retired players who have been suffering from that as a result of playing football. But they actually, through race norming is what they called it, they actually were operating intentionally under the premise that black people had a lower cognitive baseline than white players. In other words, they intentionally assumed that black players were dumber than white players. So therefore, lessening the burden of proof that football and dementia was the cause of their mental health problems down the road. The NFL was guilty of doing this and they just stopped it like last year. And they just started paying out to these black players who who had to resubmit their claim on a normal baseline because the NFL intentionally assumed that black players were dumber than white players. This is the NFL that we're talking about y'all. Don't tell me the NFL is not a racist institution. Forget the black quarterback stuff that I was talking about last time. This is serious stuff. So we have the NFL being the NFL. We have the Houston Texans being the Houston Texans. We have a mid-20s superstar franchise quarterback in deep in the heart of Texas. Do you really think he's going to get a fair shake if he tries to embarrass the franchise by demanding a trade? Is it really just a coincidence that all of these cases came out immediately after he demanded to be traded from Houston? I believe that there was a possibility that Deshaun Watson is a dirtbag and that he's guilty of what he's been accused of. I also think there is a possibility that he is getting absolutely railroaded by a bunch of racist folks who wanted to see him crumble. And if you want to talk about 22 women... I'll see your 22 women and I'll raise you the hundreds, if not thousands of falsely accused black men that have existed in this country. And that's my overall point about race in this discussion. Why is it that we're allowed to believe women, but we're not allowed to believe black people? I haven't heard anybody else raise this point on any platform. I've heard some people allude to the fact that it might be a conspiracy, but I have not heard anybody Say it in this in these terms. Like there is too much smoke here that this might be something than what they're saying it is. Mind you, Deshaun Watson's 
reputation was pristine. It was sublime before any of this came out. This is the same Deshaun Watson who got to Houston and was donating his first game check to three cafeteria employees in Houston who had their homes ravaged by Hurricane Harvey. That's the kind of dude Deshaun Watson was. Had done amazing things in the community. He was looked upon as one of the cleanest cut dudes in football. He was like Russell Wilson. And all of a sudden, we're supposed to believe that he's this monster that is guilty of all these things. Maybe he is. I don't know Deshaun Watson. I was not in the room with him, y'all. But if you're going to sit here and cite these 22 women as a big number of accusers, I can... I can cite a much, much bigger number of black men who have been subjected to racism by powerful institutions, who have people, white men that wanted to humble these young black men and wanted to see them fail, wanted to see them fall. And just countless black men, black people who were falsely accused of crimes they didn't commit. And that's my beef. That's my beef. I hope the best for all those accusers. I hope that they, you know, I hope that they get whatever type of resolution um, is true to them. You know what I'm saying? If Deshaun Watson is guilty of any of this stuff, he should be behind bars. He shouldn't even be playing football. And I'll even go as far to say that the one part of this whole thing that did make me feel uncomfortable was the fact that he got this new contract and he essentially got a raise and the highest paid, the, uh, the highest amount of guaranteed money ever to a player in NFL history. He was the recipient of that from the Browns indirectly only as a result of these accusations. And that is what made me uncomfortable because it's almost like he's getting rewarded for that. But I will say this, y'all, if he's innocent, if he's innocent of what they're accusing this man of, Deshaun Watson deserves every damn cent of that contract. Okay. For having his name, his reputation, his family's name drugged through the mud for everything he's had to endure, had to sit out a year for being a pariah, in, in in public circles at this point, pretty much had to be a ghost all of last year. And now I have to sit up there and face this firing squad of people. Well, you think you need counseling, Deshaun? Even though he's like, I didn't do nothing wrong. What do I need counseling for? All of this stuff that he's had to endure over the last 12 months, he deserves every damn dime of that $230 million guaranteed contract if he's innocent. He deserves more for black men everywhere that's been falsely accused of crimes they didn't commit. Damn, got me worked up in here. Looking at it from just a purely from a pure football standpoint, the Browns they got a new quarterback. They moved off of Baker Mayfield. I told y'all about Baker Mayfield. Okay, the last a few podcasts ago, back at the beginning of the year, I played sound from the uh, the Mark draft episode of 2018 for the NFL draft where I talked about how Baker Mayfield was not all what he was cracked up to be and that he seemed selfish he seemed like a me guy 
He seemed like he was too into the media and being seen. And that it was a lot, largely smoke and mirrors and that he wasn't that good of a quarterback. I said all those things and I failed to see where I was wrong on any account. And I don't say that with reverence because I am a Browns fan. One of the biggest misnomers is that if you are a Browns fan, that you can't possibly be a Browns fan because you want to see Baker Mayfield fail. I don't know how many times I had to tell people, it's like, no, it's because I'm a Browns fan that I'm not going to settle for mediocrity at the most important position. And that's exactly what Baker Mayfield was. He was mediocre. He was better than what we've had. He proved that he could light up bad teams and bad defenses. But if you need him to make big plays against good teams and good defenses, if you needed him to lead you in a comeback in the fourth quarter, if you need him to be consistent against the teams that you're actually going to have to beat in order to win a Super Bowl, he never, ever proved that he could do that. He didn't do that in his first year. He didn't do that in his third year. He never did that. He never did it. But Baker carried himself like he was a top five quarterback in the league. He carried himself like he was Deshaun Watson. You know what I'm saying? He's not that guy. He never was that guy. And people, you sat up there and argued with me. People that I really respect and care about as, as just as friends and as followers of the site argue with me every single Sunday about Baker Mayfield for years. And I told y'all what this dude was about. And if you had any doubts about who Baker Mayfield was, it was solved by what happened during the pursuit of Deshaun Watson. The Browns, it got out. They were going to Houston to make a run at Watson. They already told Baker, you're our guy, but we're going to explore an upgrade at the position if we can find one that is like top five caliber quarterback. If we can get a guy like that, we're going to explore that opportunity. They told Baker that. That's been the report, that they made Baker aware of that. Yet Baker claims that he found out about the Browns' pursuit of Watson on social media, and that's what set him off. That is what caused him to break his silence on social media. That is what caused him to pen a goodbye letter to Cleveland before he ever left the roster, and that is what caused him to demand a trade. That's some sucker stuff, y'all. This dude is a sucker. Okay? Baker Mayfield was always this way. He always was concerned about himself above the team. This is why he's constantly throwing people under the bus. He threw coaches under the bus. He threw management under the bus. He threw play calling under the bus. He threw teammates under the bus. He threw the medical staff under the bus. He railed against media all the time, picking fights. This guy guy is not what you want in a franchise quarterback, which is why nobody wants him now. It's not that he's devoid of all talent. He's okay. He's somewhere between the 15th and 20th, 23rd best quarterback in the league, whatever. He's somewhere in there. Maybe he's all, maybe he is 15. I don't know. 16 in that range, halfway mark in the league. Maybe that's where he is, but you can't be middle of the pack at your job and be a jerk. You can't do it. Okay. And this is living proof. That is, that is the lesson here. (laughs) That is the lesson. Okay, Baker chasing away Odell Beckham, you know, like this whole thing about him having hurt feelings because Odell's father put out this video. It's like, how about you throw it to the guy that's open? 
How about that? You know, oh, he leaks to Jay Glazer. Oh, my shoulder's messed up. It's like, you did that to gain sympathy. He went straight to Jay Glazer and told him that his shoulder was banged up. What quarterback has Jake Glazer's number on speed dial and is leaking stuff to them directly? That's how that news got out about Baker's bum shoulder and all that was because he told Jake Glazer that specifically to try to save face for his crappy performance this past season. And then when he wanted to demand a trade, he calls up Adam Schefter. This is who Baker is, y'all. I don't know how many ways he had to show you who he was. This dude claimed he was all about Cleveland and he was all about being the guy to turn this thing around. Well, he turned it around a little bit of the ways, but it wasn't all the way there. And what happens when he's faced with adversity? Adversity in the form of your management group looking at your potential replacement. What did he do? Did he buckle down? Did he practice harder? Did he keep his mouth shut and get better and study the playbook more and work out more and bond with his teammates more and get ready for the season and be as prepared as he could be going going into this upcoming season? Did he do any of those things? No. He cried and demanded to be traded. Newsflash. You have to be good to demand a trade. Deshaun Watson can demand a trade. You can't, Baker Mayfield. You can't. You can't do it, okay? I'm sure Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski were laughing their ass off when you called them up and demanded a trade. They just put the phone on mute and was like, (laughs) like, it was one of those sessions. I I wish I was in the room with them when they heard it. I mean, Baker Mayfield, I think... We've, he has better days ahead. He's going to leave Cleveland. His shoulder's going to heal. And he's going to get into a situation where there's going to be no pressure on him, no expectations. That's where he thrives. Not this whole, Baker thrives best when his back's against the wall. That's a lie. That's a fake narrative. When He thrives when there's no expectations and nobody's expecting him to do anything. So... If he's battling for a job in Seattle, if he's trying to fend off Drew Locke and he wins the starting job and he's playing way up in the corner of the country where nobody's paying attention and he's able to come in with a, a with an offense that's not expected to be very good and he's able to cobble together some good games against some bad teams, that's when you're going to see Baker shine. Like He's going to face some bad teams, nobody's going to be paying attention to him, and then it's going to be like, oh, look at Baker Mayfield. And then the expectations will rise and Baker Mayfield will fall because this is what he's always done in four years with the Browns. It never fails. Okay. That train is never late. All right. Baker proved who I always thought he was. He was a fake tough guy. He wanted to be tough on Twitter and, you know, talking about like, you know, uh, whatever he said to Mary Kay Cabot. Like, stop, stop using me to be, to feed your family or whatever he said. You know what I'm saying? All that nonsense. He's going back and forth with media members. He's such a fake tough guy in press conferences. Real adversity hit him in the face and he, he ran. He folded, yo. He folded when faced with real adversity. Being in a contract year, he doesn't know where his next contract is coming from the Browns or not. He knows that they're looking at his replacement potentially. And what does he do? He he scripts a letter to try to win points with the fans, and then he asks for a trade. And I believe he, the reporting of him asking for a trade came after Watson said he didn't want to be with the Browns initially. 
I believe it came in that window, which ultimately was, I think, a ploy by him to get back at the Browns. He wanted to stick them with not having any quarterback. Like, okay, Watson told you no, and now I'm going to drop the bomb on you that I want to get traded. I think that was his plan, y'all. It backfired. And now he can't even get a job. He can't even get a job. Cleveland, this is what an average quarterback looks like. An average quarterback with a stank attitude. That's exactly what I told y'all he was for years. This is why he can't get a starting job now. He will get a starting job in the future. I, I think he'll figure that part out, and he'll get a job somewhere. He may have to compete for a job. He may have to sit on the bench for a year. He'll get, a, he'll get another crack at it, and he'll, be, you know, he'll have some good games again. But this dude is not special. He's not. And Browns fans tried to convince me and themselves that Baker Mayfield was special for four years. Ignoring every bad game, every red flag. Telling me that the coaching was bad and that's why he stunk in his second season. Knowing that when he put up all those numbers in his first season, it was because the same dude was calling plays. Does that make sense to you? Or blaming this year his bad play strictly on his injury, which he caused. Not acknowledging the fact that he almost led the league in interceptions in his second year. Or that he's led the league in turnovers since he came into the league. Like, people just ignored all this stuff. Like, all the signs were there. On top of which, he was a jerk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Matt Ryan got another job. He's not a jerk. He's a grown-up. He's, you know, he acts accordingly. Aaron Rodgers, some people think he's a jerk. Guess what? He's great. You get to be a little bit of a jerk if you're great. Baker, not great. Still a jerk. I hope he learned something from this because I, I, I didn't learn anything from this because this is I already knew all this stuff. I hope y'all learned something, Cleveland. I hope Browns fans who supported this clown for four years, I hope you guys learned a lot. Okay, this guy was not that different from Johnny Manziel. I said that on the Mark draft in 2018. He didn't have a drug problem. Sure, he wasn't that crazy, but this dude was not all he was cracked up to be. He was selfish at times. You know, why did he play through this injury? I think I think a part of it was the Browns trying to set him up to make him look bad a little bit. I think that there was part of that. They used his own ego against him because that was the justification that they needed to go after a bigger prize like Deshaun Watson. I think that that was part of the plan. But the only success that Baker saw with Kevin Stefanski was when Stefanski scaled back the offense. Like, it, it was so obvious. Like, anyway, I'm done. I'm done with Baker. I'm not going to be ranting about him anymore on the podcast. Because he's not going to be a quarterback of the Cleveland Browns anymore. So I don't need to do that. Let's talk a little hip-hop, y'all. And so... We did a little uh, editing. And uh, Presto Changeo is actually now Tuesday, the 29th of March. And I am joined by my wife, Ashley. Who's come to drop some jewels on y'all. About, well... I don't know, I guess one of the cornerstone pop culture moments of the last 10 years, maybe maybe longer than that, and uh, and this Netflix documentary. Sweetheart, the last time you were on the podcast, we were talking about a different Netflix show. Do you remember that? Oh, uh, 
Rhythm and Flow. Rhythm and Flow. That was the last time you were on the show. Oh, so that I was that Yeah, well, COVID killed season two and we haven't seen it since. But that was um that was like New Year's Eve going into twenty twenty, I think it was. Um uh, when you when we had you on that time, I believe. Wow. Okay, so two years before I can get back on the podcast. I mean, we have Mark for the Mark draft. You know what I'm saying? Do you want to do the Mark draft this year? The ass draft? <laughs> Um, no, I'm good. I'll leave that to cousin Mark. Okay, thank you. Um, no, we actually um, we we talk all the time about doing a podcast together. Who knows? Maybe one day, one day, we'll we'll get one off the ground with just the two of us talking about who knows what relationships. I don't know. We'll talk about marriage. I don't know. The the what we do best is talk about reality programming that Ashley likes to watch that she's kind of dragged me into, <laughs> such as Big Brother and Married at First Sight. Those are our programs of choice. Um, and our conversations after those shows go off, fire every single time. But um, we want to talk about the Academy Awards, I guess because we have to. Like, everybody's talking about it. And everybody seems to have an opinion. I said earlier on the podcast, everybody's turned into, like, you know, a psychology you know, major. Like, everybody has a degree in, in social work and family therapy and everything else like everybody thinks they know got all the answers they've broken down will smith and they figured him out you know what i'm saying it's like <laughs> really you figured him out on your facebook post okay everybody's got an opinion it's fine okay so i guess we might as well give ours but i will cede the floor to you so speaking of the slap heard around the world mm. what did you make of will smith getting out of his chair and slapping the fire out of chris rock um, I definitely thought it was inappropriate. I do not. A lot of people have been defending Will on this, and I'm just like, what? I don't think... I understand that um, Jada is going through alopecia, and, you know, I understand, you know, when you get into your 40s, 50s, you know, you're probably going to experience some hair loss as, as a woman, uh, as a man, probably earlier than that. Um, but I don't think, I think the slap was less about the comment and more about what him and Jada are experiencing in their relationship. So I don't think what Chris Rock said was so bad. And I definitely don't think it warranted a slap. It wasn't even funny. And I love Chris Rock. Yeah, I mean, he definitely definitely could have went way harder. There's a lot more dirt on Jada and Will that we could talk about, that he could talk about. But, I mean, I don't think, I think the slap had, when they say, you know, hurt people, hurt people, and, you know, it has a lot to do more with the person than it does to do with the person who got offended. Hurt people, slap people. You know, and I really do believe this was one of those situations, because if you were that butthurt over a shaved head joke, it's just like, come on. And on top of that... I, I know Jada says, you know, she. Sh- uh, I don't know if that's the reason why she shaved her head because I think even if Jada didn't have alopecia, she would rock a shaved head because she's just that type of person right, anyway. That's what I said to you. Like, she just seems like she would come through with a shaved head and you really wouldn't think twice about it. You'd be like, yeah. oh, Jada shaved her head. That's very on brand for Jada. Pinkett. Right, exactly. She's had very short hair her entire m- majority of her career. She right. she started wearing her hair longer later, but majority of her her career, her hair has been very 
to the scalp, you know, not just a short haircut, but very pixie, pixie short. And her daughter has shaved her head. Um, They're very much, you know, eclectic, um, free-spirited people. And to me, that's just her MO anyway, alopecia or not. So I I know, and I feel funny, like, going on the podcast saying this because I feel like, you know, I may be minimizing her experience or, you know, until you've experienced alopecia, you don't know what it is. But just from the outside looking in, I don't, uh, even if that is her experience, that it didn't warrant a slap, period. Mm. I mean, I felt like the fact that she strikes us as the type of person that would shave her head, that, like, I think that fed into why Chris Rock didn't know. (laughs) I guess it was somewhat common knowledge that she was experiencing this. I personally did not know that she was going through that. And from what we're hearing, Chris Rock also did not know. I don't, had he known that, I don't think he would have made that joke. I didn't know that she, and I still don't know, that she shaved her head because of alopecia. And I she know, looks good anyway. Like right. she's, You know what I'm saying? Like You were talking about her dress. Yeah, that dress was bomb. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that dress was bomb. Like she looks great even with a bald head, which a lot of yeah. women you can't say that a lot of yeah, because <laughs> she a lot has of women. flawless skin. She has you know, just she just cute. You know, she just has very cute features. She just cute. So yeah, you I can. I think cute hasn't been used on the podcast before. But okay. <laughs> so yeah, she can get away with pretty much anything. Um, she's gorgeous. You are a black woman. You are married. What do you say to the people who have come to Will's defense saying that he is defending his black wife, which is something that is much needed in our community these days? And he did the right thing because he stood up for his wife. I think his actions still would have been just as impactful and still would have shook up the room if he just would have yelled exactly what he said. Didn't go up across the stage, didn't slap, but if he just would have stood up and yelled that, and then Chris Rock was like, huh? And then he yelled it again, then everybody would have been like, oh, you know, and then, you know, and no, and no hands were laid. <laughs> it still would have shook up the room, like you said. Like that still would have been the talk of the night. Yeah. Like y'all remember the time that Will Smith cussed out Chris yeah, Rock from the crowd? Yeah, exactly. At the Oscars, like yeah. what? Like, I mean, that, that would have been enough. I don't think putting your hands on him for that was necessary. It was not jiggy at all. No. No. I mean, I don't know. Like, and it was not in the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Ash. Uh, no, no, I agree. It was, um, I mean, my my initial takeaway. So the first thing that everybody was trying to figure out was, is this real, right? And so, um, you know, you saw Will kind of chuckle at the joke at first, and you see Jada's in the shot, and she is decidedly not laughing. And then they cut away, and then moments later, Will's approaching the stage. And so either Will got a look, from Jada, or he looked at Jada and saw that she was not feeling it, and then he changed his approach. Or, like he said in his acceptance speech, he was sitting there pretending like it was all good, and he was just taking another one to the chin. Um, and then he finally put his foot down and said, "You know what? I, I ain't doing this no more." But I think 
you know, when, when when he went back to his seat and then you heard him yelling that profane stuff in the crowd, I think that's when I was able to it, it hit me like, okay, I think this is this is real. Like mm-hmm. I don't think and the other thing is, you know, I don't see the what's to be gained by faking this by, by pulling a, a ruse here. Like like this is just a, a stunt. Like what what is to be gained from that? Right. I like, don't think like, it was like fake. just some laughs or just some some like rate a ratings boost for the Oscars, like, or is this some greater exposure for the Oscars? I don't think that they would do that. My thing was this. I told you before I knew Will Packer produced the show. I told you that this was the blackest Oscars I had ever seen. It was just a couple of years ago that they had joked about how there were no black people anywhere within sight of like the first 50 rows of seats at the Oscars. And like, there's literally pictures online of it you can pull up which is like rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of uh not very melanin infused faces right Mm -hmm. and then um and then we saw in this instance will smith lupita nuango jada sitting right in the front denzel sitting right in the front they led off the show with a movie or excuse me with a performance by beyonce that was shot in compton where she's saluting Venus and Serena Williams uh, on the night that a movie about them and their black father was being um, heralded as one of the best movies of the year in which Will Smith was up for the Academy Award for Best Actor. Uh, Questlove received an award. That award that Chris Rock presented, Questlove won that award. Shaquille O'Neal won an Oscar uh, on Sunday night, along with Steph Curry. Like, uh, this... I mean, I mean, this was this was the blackest Oscars I can ever remember. They had two of the two of the three hosts were black. Like it didn't. They, DJ Khaled led off the program. You know what I'm saying? They had Terrence J on, on the red carpet. Like this was this looked like the BET Awards. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so, and that was before I even knew Will Packer was involved. So it was not an accident. And so knowing that, it didn't make sense to it. W- it didn't make any sense to me that Will Smith and Chris Rock would be in cahoots. To potentially just not even jeopardize, just throw all that hard work in the trash and just embarrass black America by getting into a physical altercation on stage in front of the world. It just like, what is to be gained from that? That's why I don't buy into this whole it was fake thing. Like, I think this was real. I think that this man was hurt and his emotions in the moment got the best of him, right? Yeah, I think it was just the shock factor. Everybody was just so shocked. It was just like, this can't be real. It was just like the denial phase, you yeah, know? Yeah, I think that's what... And then people couldn't let go of the the lie, pretty much, that, you know, people just couldn't believe it, you know? And I think that's what, what spawns. And the fact that it's two actors... <laughs> in a you room know? full of actors yeah in a room full of actors on the biggest night in acting <laughs> right exactly you know so it's just like well is it real is it fake because they're actors he just won but you know he's he's, he's the best actor, best actor. <laughs> right exactly so and then people just don't expect that from will smith because you know he does all these motivational videos and he's all about you know he him and jada to me they act like they just got everything figured out like they've cracked the code of life and 
<laughs> you know, yeah, they're true. always telling everybody, you know, what we're missing and what you need to be in tuned with. And, you know, it's not my responsibility to make you happy and all this other stuff, you know. So you need to be in tune with not slapping folks yeah, on so, TV. So, you know, he's been, they've been portraying themselves as people who figured it out and, you know, are vibrating high on another level. Oh, here we go with the vibration. <laughs> and then we see this and it's just like, wait, what? Is this even real? You know? And then, you know, he gives this apology, uh, talk about I'm a work in progress, like, a work in progress, like, ain't you in your 50s? Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you should have it figured out by now, yeah, yeah. you know. So, well, well, so you liked the post on Instagram, and I said to you, you know, what did you make of the apology? I'm like, you, you liked the post on Instagram, and, and what did you say? Well, I wouldn't say that I liked it, I, I double tapped it for good energy, right? <laughs> that was what you said, you double tapped it for good energy. Um, yeah, I just shook my head and laughed, I think, when you told me that. But, um, there's a segment of people that believe that Will would not have done this if that was a white comedian, that Will would not have done this if, certainly wouldn't have done this if it was a female comedian, a comedian, Uh uh, that Will would not have done, some people I've heard said Will wouldn't have done this if the person was the same size as him. He's he's clearly larger than Chris Rock. Um, what do you think of all that? Like, do you think if that was a white guy, that was the same height that he would slap him? If that was Vince Vaughn, you think he slapped no, him? No, I think the slap was specifically for Chris Rock, because I think whenever you're in a situation like that, or whenever you know somebody makes you mad, you always like quickly size it up. Like, do I do I want this smoke or no? <laughs> <laughs> So I think because he knew that Chris Rock probably wouldn't retaliate, you know, he, they know each other, you know, they've been in the business together for many years. So, you know, I don't think it was just a black thing or uh, it's definitely like a a male, female thing. Like, I don't think he would have hit a woman, but I don't think it's definitely just a black thing. Um, a white, okay, him him slapping a white person. Think about it. Yeah, because <laughs> that could that could be yeah uh, career suicide. If I he mean, did some that. people are saying like he just wouldn't have done that. It was just a different, not respect level, but just like I don't know. Like it's just one of those things you feel like you could pull on certain people. And in that yeah, moment, in that, in that room, setting, in that setting, you know, if if it would have been a white comedian in an all black space. Or in a blacker space. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't forget that Will Smith did backhand that dude on the red carpet in France or whatever, wherever it was. He did backhand slap some some white dude that like tried to walk up on him and kiss him or something like that, and he yeah. backhanded him. He didn't hit him hard, but he hit him hard enough to send him a message. Will did do that before. Yeah, but that was somebody invading his personal space. Like, I don't know. I, and Chris I Rock has a history, I guess, of going at Jada at the Oscars. Like he kind of clowned her. Yeah. Five years ago or whatever, so maybe right. that was still in the back of their heads. I mean, my thing is like, dude, like Will Smith, for all intents and purposes, is a comedian. He's been in comedic roles on the big screen and the small screen for thirty years, so he should know as much as anybody that 
a comedian is going to be a comedian. And if you're sitting in the front row, you liable to get clapped. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. the, like this is not, you know, you, you got to kind of roll with that. You know, you would yeah, think. Yeah, that's the, that's the sucky part. Like, I think it was whack for him to slack, slap him anyway. But if I was a comedian, I would be pissed. I think comedians were pissed. They were coming yeah. at him left and right. Even, you know... Comedians, it seems, I, didn't, I mean, I haven't heard like all of every comedian, but I do know a lot of comedians had some stuff to say about about Will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, there's a, a decent number of people that were coming to his defense, saying he's he's protecting his queen and all this other stuff. To me, it just felt forced because of all the back and forth that Will and Jada have experienced over recent years. Yeah, it, it, did. it, it felt the whole thing felt. Forced. Like yes, it didn't like feel I like I had to overcompensate yeah. for protecting my woman. We're one, we're united, you know, all of that. And that's why that's what I said. I yeah. think this was more about what they're experiencing in their relationship. Yeah. Than it I is told about, you keep my wife's name. Yeah, I, I thought that was than your life is partner. About the joke or the alopecia <laughs> or the haircut or whatever. It's about their they've had a shift in their marriage, you know. Right, whether yeah, she shifted to another dude. Yeah, whether that's been how long that's been going on. The fact that it went public and all of that, it you know, it is created a different dynamic in their household going forward, and they're trying to figure it all out. And it's there, it's a, they're in a very vulnerable moment as a couple, as a celebrity couple. I mean, will. The Smiths brought a lot of this on themselves. I mean, can we just agree with that? Like, you have this red table thing where you're just burying your soul out. You're dragging Will onto the show. You turn this man into a meme in front of the world on your program. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, all the stuff about, like you said, how they always claim to have it figured out. Oh, this is my life partner or whatever, whatever. You know, they... You know, people are talking about like, well, where was the protection that she had for him? She never really protected her husband. She let her son's friend infiltrate their marriage. You know what I'm saying? Like, where is the protection there? So I, I, I don't know, man. I just think that the they they didn't really do themselves a lot of favors. They've they've had some behaviors that have that kind of make them an easy target for jokes and things like that. And so. and Chris Rock's a comedian. Chris Rock's a professional man. Like I think I don't yes, think you can. That's what I wanted to say. I don't think you can praise him enough. Yeah. Because um, certain people, I've heard certain people say, I, you know, I've taken in a lot of coverage of the last forty-eight hours. I've heard people say like, "Oh well, if that had been me, I'd have knocked Will out, yeah. or you know, whatever, whatever." And it's just like I've actually in my life have been like uh, attacked physically and not expected it. And I was left confused more than anything. That happened to me once. And I was at a, it was in a basketball, it was an organized basketball game. And some dude thought that I like hit his brother or something like that, which I didn't. And like I got I got a rebound and he just ran up on me and tried to clothesline me. It was like, that's for hitting my brother. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm just looking at him like, what? And then the referee just called a technical foul. I didn't even get mad. I was just confused. Like, what are you, who are you? Like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even rise to the level of anger. And I think Chris Rock was so stunned right. in that moment. Like, he's not even thinking about getting angry. He's just trying yeah. to make sense of what happened. And then he just kept it moving. Yeah, and you know exactly. he had bullets in the chamber. Oh, yeah. In the holster. You know what I'm saying? He ha- Man, he was ready to go. Because he, he, had, he, had, he could have ripped him a new one with all the August jokes that he had 
in the whole like he could have went at him and then he just said uh, he even restrained he's like oh nope, i ain't even gonna go there okay and then he kept it moving Right. I thought Chris, you know, I, yeah, I don't agree with everybody saying that really would have made the blackest Oscars look bad. Well, I'm saying like, imagine if Chris would have swung back. Imagine two 50 year old black men rolling around on the ground in tuxes on the stage at the Oscars. Yeah, that's like ridiculous. So thank God that didn't happen. Props to Chris Rock. Good job, Chris, handling yourself well. You know, rising above. We gonna move forward with love. <laughs> okay, Diddy. The the last thing I'll say though is I didn't. I did. I told you in the moment that I didn't appreciate Will not apologizing to Chris Rock on stage. Yeah, that was corny. He apologized to everybody but Chris Rock. He apologized to the Academy and begged them to let him come back, but he right, had nothing exactly. to say to the man that he actually hit and embarrassed after he had some time to think. About after it. he had some time to think about it, after Denzel and Tyler Perry and. The ghost of Sidney Portier and everybody's talking him down. Like there was none of that. Like he just, he still didn't have nothing to say nice about Chris in that moment. And I think he he missed the opportunity. Like I think had he led with that whole statement about I'm a man trying to protect my family and we've been under attack and I, I just hope you know I'm a work in progress, which is like the new label to mean I can just be an a hole whenever I want. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And just it, it just get God's excused still later. Working on me. Yeah, because because God's still working on you. That means you get to be a jerk, and you're 52 years old. Uh, but I mean, like, just I didn't. I felt like you apologize to the man in the moment because that's how we know it's more sincere. The fact that you had a day to think about it and then you crafted it on Instagram. I guess maybe he apologized to him in private that night. Maybe he did, and maybe you know. But still, though, the embarrassment was public. The right. event was public. So the apology should have been public, and it should have come that night, I believe. And um, the fact that he didn't do it that night, I was not thrilled with. Not that you know he has to apologize for for my sake, but I just you know I would have liked to have seen him do it that night on stage when he was thanking the world. He had five whole minutes to talk <laughs> during his acceptance speech, and still ain't had nothing to say for another black icon that he just tried to take down like that. So I agree. Uh, well, we're never going to see anything like that again, I don't think. Not in our lifetime. That was, that was nuts. Um, that was. Uh, for something that crazy to transpire on that type of a stage, you would naturally just assume that Kanye West was involved somehow. <laughs> right. And you know what? That's what I said. His words could have... Uh, I think that's what I was going to say earlier. Um, his words could have been just as effective because when Kanye grabbed the mic with Taylor, you know, that was big news. He interrupted. He could have went up there and grabbed the mic with Chris Rock and said, you know, maybe not those exact words, yelling from his seat what he said, but, you know, he could have said something about alopecia or, you know, something. He didn't have to hit him. You know, there there are other ways he really could have... He sucker-punched a smaller man. Yeah, stirred up the room, <laughs> and it, it still would have been just as impactful and effective with him not putting his hands on I him. I mean, I think the proper thing to do would have just been to have pulled him aside later Yeah, that, that would have been a proper thing to do. And but then, if he wanted the impact and, and, the, and the press and all of that, and he wanted everybody to know, don't mess with me and my family, because that's what I think he was getting at. He wanted everybody to know. He wanted to put True. everybody on notice. Yeah. Uh, uh, are you on notice? Yeah. I ain't going to West Philly. <laughs> Who's been they've been to West Philly in about twenty years? Look, no, I don't know. I am not making no more entanglement jokes. Man, 
I don't know, man. It was weird. Everybody's like, why you ain't slapping August? Like, <laughs> you slapping I, I, the wrong I, I, dude. I'll follow August. <laughs> or you never followed him to begin with. What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, had had Kanye um, been there, I mean, like people were saying like that that guy should be banned from award shows, whatever. His own Instagram Live is his own award show, at least that stage anyways. He just goes on there and just rambles about stuff. We saw the Kanye documentary we watched it together and it seemed to have a profound effect on you yes i loved the kanye documentary i just love kanye west even more now i always liked him i always loved his music um i like i mean he's entertaining you know in the studio and outside the studio you know love him or hate him i never um I mean, yeah, he's definitely had some issues with his mental health and stuff like that, but that has never, like, when people was, like, trying to cancel him and all of that, I was never on board with it. I was just kind of like, I like his music. I, I don't I don't think what he's doing is so bad to cancel him speaking his truth. Hanging out with Trump? So I, wearing a MAGA hat? I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't get involved in people's politics. As much as I may disagree, I just believe people have their are entitled to having their own opinions. As even if it's wrong, you know, um, I don't. Especially when it comes to politics, I just feel like everybody just thinks they're right on everything. And yeah, so I don't even want to get into the whole politics. Just but I'm very. Um, let everybody be when it comes to politics, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I wasn't about to cancel him for that. As crazy as Trump was and all that stuff, it's a lot of, I mean, it's because it's a lot of, that's the other thing. Pretty much, it's a lot of Trump supporters out there, you know. Right. N- nearly half the country are, were Trump, are or were Trump supporters. It's a lot of place owners, business owners that I shop at, that I do business with, who support Trump. I'm sure the places I, that I bank with, my who owns the grocery stores, who owns a lot of the businesses that I am a patron at are Trump supporters. I'm not canceling them. I still got to live. I still got stuff to do. You know, I'm not about to hit, sit up here and look but up this who is Kanye. a Trump supporter for every little thing. So I'm going to cancel the this black is, man? This is Kanye. I'm going to cancel the black man, but all the white people As okay? you can see now, we basically <laughs> profiled, pimped up and hold down, whatever he said. Basically, no, now we've been racially nah, profiled, cuffed yeah. up and holes down, pimped up and hold down. Yeah. That's Kanye. You going you gonna to let that ride with Donald Trump? Yeah. No, nah, I'm just playing, y'all. You know, I, I never canceled him either, so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, so let him be him. And if that's, you know... I mean, that's that's what the whole first half of the podcast was about, was just, you know, because I talked a lot about Deshaun Watson and um, and just how I personally, you know, as much as I would love for all of the players for the, that play for the teams that I support to not be dirtbags, mm-hmm. some of them probably are dirtbags, but that doesn't mean I'm going to not support the team. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so because they acquired him, that doesn't mean I'm not going to support the team. Because they don't give, the you know, the Browns are taking the long game. They're look, They know that they're struggling today. And they're going to struggle this year. But they're thinking about it three to five years down the road, what's going to be like. And on top of that, you know, they don't give out trophies for the for teams that have the nicest guys on the roster. Like, there's no Super Bowl for, uh, well, you guys won four games and lost 13 this year. But 
all of your guys are really good guys. You know, no, they don't, they don't, nobody praises you for that. You get clowned for that because you went four and 13. And so that's why the Browns are trying to change that. But that was what the first half of the podcast was. I'm just trying to keep those two things separate, much like you're trying to keep the music separate from, you know, this other stuff yeah. with Kanye. Yeah, I... But what was it about the documentary, though, that really struck Yeah, you? so the documentary, what I just really liked was that he was just the epitome of what my mother has taught me as a child and as a person who is navigating life and is ambitious and has goals, is that, you know, if you put your mind to it and you believe it, like, you can achieve it. And don't let little roadblocks or people telling you no get in the way of what's yours. You know, if you want it to be yours, you can make it happen. Don't just take no for an answer and just say, oh, he said no. He said my album can't come out, so I can't even record. I don't even have any money for studio time. And they won't let um said that they're not going to put my album out. I can only make beats, so that's just what it is. Like, no, Kanye did not take no for an answer. He said, okay. Y'all don't believe me, then, you know, I'm going to hook up with celebrities and um, not hook up. But, you know, I'm going to connect with celebrities and try to get studio time with them. You know, he went to Jamie Foxx's house and did studio time with him. He, um, you know, he believed in himself. He was like, I know I'm going to be somebody. He had his friend shooting his documentary, like, from the very beginning, from day one. And it's just like... I And it just made me appreciate his confidence even more. Like, you know, he gets torn down a lot because he's arrogant and, you know, he's too stuck on himself and all of that. But it just made me appreciate that. And, you know, he pretty much said, you know, I'm not going to shrink to fit whatever whatever you think I am or whatever you want me to be. I thought he be. was a beat maker. Yeah. And, like, and that's it. Like, I'm so much more than that, and you're not going to tell me that I'm not. And I love that about him. And just to see how hard he was, how persistent he was, and then just there was like an innocence about him, too, that I really loved, <laughs> just like watching him. <laughs> yeah, when he's like 25 or whatever, and, you know, just seeing the relationship with his mother and him walking around with his retainers and taking them out like, okay, here, I'm sorry, I got a rap, but let me take out my retainers. You know, it was just, it was just like an innocence about him just watching him. And it's just like, man, I, it just made me love him even more and love his music even more and his drive. And it was just so inspiring that, you know, it made me, even though I've always felt like, you know, I can do whatever I put my mind to and stuff like that. But, you know, when you see somebody else who who really believes it and is going to do whatever by any means necessary to make sure. And he took matters into his own hands, regardless of who was in power, what strings they had, whatever. He did what he needed to do to make it happen. He, I mean, his, the documentary was the epitome of making it happen. And I just loved it. I just, that's just so and so. I just loved it. Yep. And he climbed his way up the ladder till he was able to achieve his life dream of marrying a porn star. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Again, 
<laughs> Again, I'm not, you know, I You're don't not get into judge? people's personal business, ah, okay? Yeah, but you didn't hear that from me, right? Okay. That's his business, right, well, as, as Tabitha says. Yeah, well, now, it, it, it's the world's business. Now, you get involved with that family, it's yeah, the world's business. Yeah, but, you know... Um, but now, I hear you, though, on everything that you, you were saying about Ye and, like, the the way that he used... I mean, he was able to get his foot in the door with the producing, mm-hmm. and then he used that as just the the thing that was going to, you know, give him access to all these people that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then he just used, hey, he's got 20 minutes left before these guys have to leave or the studio time wraps up. Hey, let me spit a 16 for Pharrell. Let me spit a 16 for Luda. Let me spit a 16 for Hove. Yeah. Let me spit a 16 for the receptionist at Rockefeller Records. Exactly. Just because. <laughs> exactly. He took advantage of every opportunity. And even, you know, what really like touched me, and I think I told you this a little bit, I don't know what this scene was, but how I interpreted it, was um, the choir that um, I think... That church basement he was in, wherever he was? Yeah, it looked like he was like at a nursing home or something and he needed to get (laughs) like um, a choir. Uh, Yeah, it was the choir. They were singing Through the Wire. Mm -hmm. Through the Wire. The the choir part when they sing Through the Wire. And he really wanted this choir track or B-roll, whatever. I don't know what you call it. Audio. Um and I don't he probably didn't figure out I don't know where to get the I, I have this vision, I want this choir on this track, but I need to find a choir. And he he's like at this nursing home or I don't know what it was. You said church basement. I'm gonna say that's or home. like a uh, I don't a, know a facility for the blind or something. Yeah, it was some type <laughs> of facility. Was. And they're like trying to sing through the wire through like and it's like so like low budget whatever but just to be no like, budget yeah no budget just to like go up in there like i need a choir can y'all sing this part for me for my album and it's just uh i mean he made it happen like i just loved it it's so inspiring it just gave me more confidence like and pursuing my dreams and what I want to do. Well, you've done. Oh, let's not sell yourself short here. So, <laughs> the audience may may not know. You know, you do have a bachelor's degree. You have a master's degree. You pledge Delta Sigma Theta. <laughs> you have a doctorate degree, PhD, mind you. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you've carried not one, not two, <laughs> but four children, including a set of twins. Mm-hmm. You work full time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you do quite a bit. I think you've done all right for yourself, and uh, so so reaching your goals is actually not something that you're deficient in. You actually do pretty well. <laughs> but to in that have department. confidence, like the well, that's level the thing. of confidence, level like of confidence I've been able, I've been able to achieve goals, but I often I often do it afraid, and um, which is something that Joyce Meyer always talks about in her in her preachings. Is just you know. Just do, even if you're scared, just do it. So I've been reaching all these goals, but I've been doing it afraid in in various points in the process. You know, not, some areas I have a lot of confidence in, but you know, there's times where you know you may fail or whatever. But um, but to go forward and do it with confidence and just say, I know I'm you know, the best person for this job, or I know that this paper is the bomb, and I know he, I he can believed this degree. He before everybody else did. Yeah, exactly. And, and he had his boy there, like, I, I seen a genius. Yeah. I thought you was a genius until I seen Hove 
spit a verse in five minutes with with no pen and no pad. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, that that must be what a genius is. Yeah. But it was and like, he... as if there can't be two geniuses. <laughs> like, I felt what dude was saying, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, why can't there be two geniuses? That, right. That's how we get the throne. We get the throne album out of that, you know? But that's the thing that I love about him. He does not need validation from others. And it's just a lot of people do. Well, he I think he did need validation from others. I mean, like, he, he, he needed... He needed buy-in. I don't think he needed validation. Hmm. I think he needed buy-in from others so he could... But he didn't need validation to tell him that he's great. He knows. He knew that he was great. He knew that he had it. He really just needed buy-in so he can get the thing off the ground. And that's what I love. Like, a lot of people seek validation in, you know, very p- peculiar ways. I still think Kanye likes his validation a little bit. <laughs> Like, remember when he won the Grammy and he was like, everybody wanted to see what Kanye was going to do if he didn't win the Grammy? I guess yeah. we'll never know. It's like, well, he probably would have flipped, you know, went off the reservation a little bit had he not won that Grammy. He probably would have. like validation and like recognition is different. Uh, I think they're really similar. Maybe not exactly the same, but but there's a lot of similarities, but... Um, what did you think of the third part of the documentary where they were like basically showing like the Pablo, the life of Pablo concert and stuff like that. And, you know, showing some of his, his mental issues that he had come with and, you know, the loss of his mother and all that. What did you make of that? Uh, I didn't have like strong feelings one way or another. I mean, it, I guess that part of the documentary was like stuff that kind of unfolded publicly anyway, so I was already privy to. It was just like a refresher, that part. Uh, It gave me a little insight into his mental health issues when he was um, at the beach and he was talking with some investors or something and like his speech wasn't, you know, it wasn't linear. So um, that gave me like a more clear picture of how he demonstrated his need for um, treatment. But um, outside of that, like that was just stuff that I already knew that had already played out in the news and they just kind of composed it. But the, the first two pieces of the documentary are not pieces, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. The first two parts. Yeah, the first two parts. His ascension yeah. Yeah. to stardom. Yeah, his really... ascension to stardom. I did not know all of that stuff. That A lot of that stuff was new information to me on how it all came about. So that was eye-opening. But the third part, I kind of knew a lot of that stuff. So it was just like, okay, yeah, I know that, you know, he married Kim, got a divorce. I know that he experienced mental health. I know... About when he went and said George Bush doesn't care about black people. I know about that was great. That was great. Um, when Kim got robbed and he had to cancel his Pablo show and all of that stuff. So all of that, you know, that wasn't the third part wasn't as interesting personally for me because it was stuff that I already. I, knew. I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, friend of the podcast Kenneth Hicks uh, can corroborate my story that I said. Back, I believe it was in 2002 that Kanye West was going to be the next Dr. Dre. I said that in 2002. I kid you not. <laughs> like, so when he was first hitting the scene as a super producer, and then people finally was just getting the wind of the fact that he could rap too, you know, I was like, I told, I told my brother, I'm like, this dude's got it. Like, I don't know what it is, but this dude is going to be special. And 
he literally wound up being the next Dr. Dre. Probably one of the greatest calls of my career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to call it a career, it's absolutely a thousand percent not a career. Um, well, thank you, sweetheart, for joining the show. Uh, do you have any, any last? Yeah, yes, yes. You're so beautiful. Do you have any uh, last minute thoughts that you want to get off about? Kanye about celebrities slapping each other, about the new Browns quarterback, about the old Browns quarterback. This is these are the topics of the show. Uh, anything else you'd like to contribute? Um, I don't think so. But thanks for having me, and um, don't wait two years before I come back on. Okay, well you play your cards right. You know what I'm saying? All right, I'm gonna play them. Yeah, we'll, we'll play them then. Play them then. You know what I'm saying? Give me a ham sandwich from time to time, you know what I'm saying? Maybe we can get to something popping, you know what I mean? That Maybe that's the going rate for a podcast appearance is a turkey sandwich, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. But, uh, but you know, uh, we got to protect our black men and black women out here. We got to protect us with turkey sandwiches and podcast appearances. We have to protect one another as husband and wife. You know Not I mean? a mayonnaise sandwich. <laughs> a mayonnaise sandwich? Mayonnaise yeah, color bins. A turkey sandwich with mayonnaise. Called a miracle whip. <laughs> All right. Well, hip hop sports support uh, coming at you with an extended podcast this time. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is one of the, is probably the longest singular podcast I've ever done, and definitely one of uh, the most important podcasts to me that I've ever done. So I very, very much appreciate anybody that listens and shares this content out. And um, we'll be back in touch with y'all soon. You know where to get at us, hiphopsportsreport.com, Twitter, Facebook. We're out here, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Peace. Bye.